Hello and welcome to Design Considerations, discussions by engineers for engineers, as well as people with interest in design. My name is Ed Bray and I will be your host for today's discussion in our wireless series titled Wireless Communication Basics. I'm a technical sales and applications engineer with AEM Group located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Today I will be talking with Tim Cutler. Tim is the Senior Business Development Manager for Connectivity Solutions with Murata Electronics North America. Tim has held high-level wireless-related technical management positions with RF Monolithics as well as Siranet, both now part of Murata Electronics. Tim holds a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the Georgia Institute of Technology and a master's degree in business administration from Georgia State University. Hi, Tim. Thank you for taking time to help us understand more about wireless design and what we need to keep in mind when approaching a design that requires wireless communication. Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to get to share on this subject. When you are facing a design requiring wireless communication, what are some of the things a designer should think about? When thinking about adding wireless to a design, you should start by asking yourself three questions. What distance do I need to cover? How much data do I need to send and how often? What is my power source and how big is it? In other words, the first three things to consider when embarking on a wireless design are range, data rate, and power consumption. I'll discuss them in detail in that order, but we'll see that they are interrelated and require trade-offs. Range. Wireless technology for IoT applications is responsible for connectivity, which is simply providing a data connection to something else. The something else can be another device, a specific server on a specific network, or a cloud-based application. Because wireless signals travel finite distances before the data can get to its final destination, it is going to need to establish a connection with a receiving device within its range, the other half of the network, if you will. Wireless range is a factor of frequency, transmit power, antenna gain, and data rate. Lower frequency signals, such as 900 megahertz, travel farther than signals in the 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz bands, other things being equal. The higher the transmit power, the farther the signal will travel, just as a louder voice can be heard further away than a softer voice. Antenna gain works to effectively amplify the transmitted or received signal, thus improving range. It's worth noting that antennas achieve this gain by focusing the RF energy in a limited region. Receivers that are not in this region can actually receive a weaker signal than from an antenna with lower gain, but a wider coverage region. And range varies inversely with the data rate. The higher the data rate, the shorter the range, and vice versa. The choice of frequency band is dictated by the technology selected. LoRa operates in the sub-gigahertz bands, either in the 430 to 470 megahertz range, or the 860 to 928 megahertz range, depending on where you are in the world. Bluetooth operates in the 2.4 GHz band, while Wi-Fi operates in the 2.4 GHz band and also the 5 GHz band for 802.11a, n, and ac. LTE, CAT-M1, and NB networks use one or more of several bands that range from 699 MHz to 2.1 GHz, depending on the carrier and the location. For the unlicensed technologies, Zigbee, LoRa, Bluetooth, and Wi-Fi, Power is limited by regulatory agencies in each country or region. For example, the European Union. Since LTE, CAT-M1, and NB use license band owned by the various carriers, 
the regulatory agencies are less concerned about the level of RF energy in the band, but they are very concerned about the level of RF energy that bleeds into frequencies outside of the band. Carriers, meanwhile, have to balance competing needs for their channels. They want devices to transmit at high power levels to improve signal reception, but they also want to be able to hear devices farther away from the tower and not have them drowned out by devices closer to the tower. So the towers tell the devices how much power to use when sending, and they adjust it as a device moves closer to or farther from a tower. The other consideration on transmit power is that more transmit power requires more power to the device. For mains power devices, this is not a key consideration, but it is for battery power devices. The amount of power required affects battery selection in two ways. First, the battery must be capable of providing the required instantaneous current when the transmitter fires. For Wi-Fi and CAT-M1 and NB devices, this can be in the few hundreds of milliamps, reasonably handled by lithium-ion batteries, but beyond the ability of lithium button cells. The other impact transmit power has on the battery has to do with the capacity of the battery. As a higher transmit current will result in a higher average current, it will result in less battery runtime. So what does all this mean for typical ranges of the various technologies? For Zigbee, you can expect ranges in the several tens of meters. Since Zigbee is a mesh technology, the real figure of interest is how far away is one device from its nearest neighbor. If we look at Bluetooth, we're looking at 10 to 30 meters for most devices. Bluetooth now allows higher transmit power, and BLE has some optional features that can extend the range, so it's possible to get 100 meters or more. But keep in mind the battery impacts of higher transmit power. LoRa is the long-range leader of the IoT group. Outdoors with clear line of sight, ranges of 10 plus miles can be achieved. But consider that getting a 10-mile clear line of sight, even outdoors, is pretty hard unless you are high above the ground. The nice thing about the LoRa range is you can achieve it while current consumption numbers are in the 100 milliamp range, which opens up a lot of battery options. The trade-off is the data rate and latency. Looking at the more power-hungry technologies, Wi-Fi and LTE CAT-M1 and NB, that have peak current consumptions in the 300 to 400 milliamp range, we find very different ranges. Wi-Fi signals will typically go somewhere between 30 to 50 meters max, depending on the environment. As the listeners will likely have experienced, getting whole house coverage with Wi-Fi can be a problem, even when distances are more like 10 meters. LTE CAT-M1 and NB also have a range of 5,000 to 10,000 meters, with the same environmental caveat as Wi-Fi. But since cell towers are typically placed every 2,000 meters or so, that range is usually sufficient. But like Wi-Fi, we've all experienced different levels of cell phone coverage when we're indoors. So why the big difference between CAT-M1 NB cellular and Wi-Fi? The answer is the data rate. CAT-M1 has throughput rates of around 250 kilobits per second, NB1 has rates on the order of 25 kilobits per second. The lowest Wi-Fi rate is one megabit per second, but they're usually running data rates in the tens of megabits up to several hundred megabits per second. The difference in data rate results in the wide difference in range. Now let's take a look at data rates. We just talked about the impact of data rate on range for Wi-Fi and cellular, and the same forces are at work for Zigbee, Bluetooth, and LoRa. The over-the-air data rate for Zigbee is 250 kilobits per second. That is the number that affects the range. But from a use case or application perspective, you need to consider the throughput rate. 
This basically accounts for the various overhead components that increase the number of bytes that must be sent to transmit some number of application payload bytes. This reduces the Zigbee throughput to something closer to 125 kilobits per second. LoRa has outstanding range, but it comes at a cost of throughput. In the case of LoRa, throughput will vary from several hundred bits per second to a few thousand bits per second. Similar to how cellular data networks tell devices how much transmit power to use, LoRa networks tell devices which data rate to use based on the quality of the signal being received. For Bluetooth, we'll focus on Bluetooth Low Energy, so named because the new standard allows more flexibility and simplicity in communicating between devices, with the result being less power consumed. The original BLE supported just the 1 megabit per second Bluetooth data rate, but with the advent of Bluetooth 5, an optional 2 megabit per second BLE data rate is supported. While the 2 megabit per second rate increases throughput, it reduces range. Another optional feature of Bluetooth 5 is a BLE transmit mode that uses forward error correction to increase range. While the FEC can theoretically increase range by a factor of 4, the throughput drops by a factor of 8. So instead of 1 megabit per second data rate, the FEC mode data rate is effectively 125 kilobits per second. Of course, to take advantage of either of these optional features, they need to be available on both ends of the wireless link. Again, these are raw data rates that don't include protocol overhead. We discussed LTE, CAT-M1, and NB and Wi-Fi above, but let's spend a little more time on Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi has data rates that range from 1 megabit per second for 11B networks and go up to 867 megabits per second for 11AC. 11AX take those up to 10 gigabits per second. These are the raw data rates before any overhead is subtracted and a Wi-Fi device cannot transmit 100% of the time, so the actual throughput obtained will be less. The other thing to keep in mind about Wi-Fi is that if the connection between a Wi-Fi device and an access point is shaky, they will automatically drop back to a lower data rate and keep dropping back until a reliable connection is established. What would cause a reliable connection to become unreliable? The most likely causes are going to be the, that either the device is moving away from the access point or some object has come between the device and the access point. The key point is that the throughput of a Wi-Fi, like LoRa, can change over time with different conditions. That needs to be considered when calculating how much throughput the application needs. Data rate also impacts latency and power consumption. Higher data rates by definition send more data in a shorter period of time. So a data transmission is completed in less time, reducing latency. In many IoT applications, Small amounts of data are being sent infrequently, so lower data rates are not a problem. The key here is to understand the use case and select a data rate that fits. The impact of data rate on power consumption is not as obvious. The peak current consumption occurs when the transmitter is sending data. The next highest current consumption occurs when the device is receiving data. The rest of the time, the device can be placed into a sleep mode where the current consumption can be very low. It can be true that processing higher data rates requires more power, but in many cases, the total amount of power to send a packet of bytes will be less when sent at a higher data rate because the transmitter and receiver will be on for shorter periods of time. So just because a higher data rate might require higher peak power, it doesn't necessarily mean it will consume more total power. Tim, can you move our focus on to power consumption? Sure. We've already touched on the interrelation between power consumption and range and data rate, so we don't need to cover those again. 
The first consideration is what the source of power is going to be. With a device plugged into a wall, there is virtually unlimited power. However, I have seen customers with wall power devices that are still concerned about overall power consumption. Think of a kitchen appliance, especially when the device is not active. But for the most part, when plugged into a wall outlet, the power consumption considerations are pretty straightforward. In the case of a battery powered device, more attention must be paid to the power consumption. Typically, the two figures of interest are the total battery capacity required, measured in amp hours or milliamp hours. The other is a peak current required needed to support the transmit operation. Let's start with battery capacity. As a general rule of thumb, if the transmit duty cycle is low, the average power consumption is going to be driven by the idle or sleep mode current. Nevertheless, designers should do the analysis for their use case to determine what the average power consumption is expected to be. The calculation is simply a weighted average of the power consumption over time. From there, it's easy to calculate the runtime of a specific battery or determine the necessary battery capacity to achieve a given battery life. A lot of times, the battery capacity that can be used is constrained by the size of the device or maybe by the battery cost. In these situations, if you can't get the battery capacity you need, you can look at turning the device or at least the RF portion off. When communication is needed, the RF device can be turned on. This can reduce the average power and extend battery life. It will take some time for the device to wake up and connect, so the power consumption for this needs to be calculated. You also need to calculate the time it will take to make sure that will work in your use case. Of course, the device can't receive data when it's off, so if your use case includes asynchronous unsolicited inbound communications, this isn't an option. We briefly touched on the peak currents needed for transmitting data and the requirement that places on the batteries. For example, lithium button cells can't source more than 100 milliamps of current. In fact, most fall well short of 100 milliamps. So you need to understand the peak current requirements of the RF device and whatever other circuitry is being used. Most Bluetooth devices consume considerably less than 100 milliamps, so button cells can power them. Zigbee devices and lower devices are typically close to 100 milliamps, so you need to know the peak current for the specific device you are using as they can vary. Wi-Fi and CAD-M1 and NB cellular require several hundreds of milliamps of current, so button cells are out. But lithium ion and other rechargeable chemistries like nickel metal hydride and NICAD are certainly capable of providing the current. If rechargeable batteries will be used, thought must be given to how to recharge them. Should supercaps be considered for power delivery? There is the option of using supercapacitors to provide the peak current requirements. The peak current duration will need to be understood to size the supercaps appropriately. You also need to factor in the self-discharge rate of the supercaps as this is effectively lost energy. While they are an option, supercaps tend to be large and expensive and have lost favor more recently to lithium-ion batteries. To finish up, there is a lot to consider when embarking on a design that will use wireless connectivity. We focus on what I consider to be the top three, range, data rate, and power consumption. We assume you already know which wireless technology is best for your application. If that hasn't been decided, the considerations we talked about today can help guide that decision. Time spent understanding these elements as they apply to your use case before starting the design will save you time down the road and avoid the need to rework the design because marketing requirements weren't met. Well, Tim, you have given us a lot to consider. 
thank you again for taking time today to help us understand more about wireless design and what we need to keep in mind when approaching a design that will use wireless communication. Thank you for listening. If you would like to be added to our mailing list, would like a copy of the transcript, or have topics you would like to hear discussed, go to our website at aemgrp.com and submit under the contact tab. Next time in our wireless series, we will be discussing Bluetooth low energy. Until that time, may your designs be safe, robust, and efficient. Goodbye for now.